Good morning. So how many of you slept in an extra hour today, but it really wasn't an extra hour? Anybody? That was me. I, I thought, man, I slept in, and then I realized I didn't sleep in at all because the time changed. So let me, let me pray this morning. We are in a series in Lamentations, which I received multiple times in the series. I've received uh, people talking to me or texting me or emailing me that they have never been in the book of Lamentations. And I thought, well, what better reason to go through Lamentations right now? Because <laughs> we're going to learn a lot today about chapter 4. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and we know that there are things we struggle with, things that maybe we're, we're worshiping besides you with maybe our time, our talents, our treasure, whatever it is. Lord, help us to see the idols in our life, the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're struggling to give our time to. Or maybe it's, it's things that we're looking for, our, our security or our safety or our trust. We're trusting in other things. But God, if we walked in this morning and maybe we're just wondering what this whole chapter is about and what truths we can, we can get from it. Lord, help us to see what is in your word clearly and apply it to our lives. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here. If you have not been welcomed yet, I'm, I'm welcoming you, whether you're in person or watching online. Today, we're in the fourth week of a series on Lamentations, and we're taking one chapter a week. And so we're in chapter four today, and if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed, and you'll have our digital bulletin and notes. There are four truths in this passage. I know, it's Lamentations chapter 4, and there's four truths, so you can remember that. So there's four truths in this passage that help us learn more about God and what we worship. The truths are all about idols that we worship instead of God, and things that we focus on rather than God. So what is an idol? If you're like me, when you, when you hear the word idol, what do you, what do you think of? What do you think of? I think of statues or shrines. I think of like the fact that we memorialize people and kind of worship them. Uh, I think of, if, if you're thinking like older history, people have shrines to certain things or shrines to a relative, that would be an idol. But what is an idol in our current world? Because it doesn't necessarily look like that. It's going to be much different. And so let me give you a definition of an idol. And I purposely, purposely did not put this on a slide because I want you to think about it. So if you need to close your eyes, if you need to leave them open, whatever, you can best hear this. It's anything, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that controls your heart and your thoughts. And you, you seek it out to have it give you what God can only give. Idols are things that have been deemed so central to your life that if you lost it, you'd hardly feel like living. You'd hardly feel like living. Some, for some of us, that's many things, if we're honest. Some of us, anything that, that controls our hearts. So as you hear that definition, it might be many things. Some of us have allowed our emotions to be devastated by the smallest losses in life. You know, when you're in line 
and you're trying to get something that there's a limited amount of and you're the person that's right after the end of the line where they sell out, that's pretty disappointing, right? And we get disappointed by things like that. But this is even further. This is you hardly feel like living, which is a little bit further than that. But for still others, this is something that's not been exposed yet. You haven't seen a point where there's an idol in your life. But for all of us, we tend to be an idol factory. And I think of it like this. We're spitting out idols left and right. And, and as we're spitting out idols left and right, it's the same since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden way back at the beginning after God created them. We want to believe that we're the ultimate authority in our lives. Because of that, we can worship something besides God. Anyone doesn't like, like anyone like feeling out of control? No one likes feeling out of control. When idols are taken out of our lives, we experience some pain, and that's that, that loss that we feel. But lament allows our pain to be both a platform for worship, but also for spiritual growth and repentance. The prophet Jeremiah, which wrote the book of Lamentations, in chapter 4, shows us four idols that we put our trust in rather than Jesus. Now, if you're, you're following along this morning, there's going to be some slides up there and I'm not reading straight through the passage. So I'm telling you right now, there's four truths, but they're kind of all over this passage. There's, there's, there's parts of it in different sections. So I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and then verse 5. Verse 1 says, How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lay scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the worker, work of a potter's hands. And then verse 5. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who are brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Wow, that rhymed in English. I just noticed that. That was pretty good. These verses show us the first truth. And that first truth is trust in Jesus for your security rather than your finances. It just doesn't make sense. The people of Israel trusted in gold, but it was now dim. And it didn't, didn't do anything for them. We might trust in our income, or maybe our investments, or maybe our retirement fund. Or, but all of that can be taken away very quickly. And some of you have lived lives where over, over the span of your life there's been recessions and recessions and recessions. And you see that it can be taken away from you very quickly. And in this case, God destroyed their riches and the security they found in it. They valued their riches more than their own children. That's what verse 2 tells us. They valued their riches more than their own children. Verse 2 says, The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. The greatest resource we have, if you have children or grandchildren, is them. It's not how much money you make. They should have valued their children more. The second part of verse 2 shows us how little they value God's creation. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. It's talking about their children. God is the creator, and you're destroying the people with what you're choosing to value. So when you value money over your family relationships, it's going to bring destruction is what this is saying here. Verse 5 has the same truth. The people thought they could put food on the table, but it was God putting it there. And now they are perishing. The second part of verse 5 is very interesting. In that the people that have the most in that culture have nothing now. 
One of the things I, I, I've learned about the color purple, specifically in the time period the Israelites were in, is it's the most expensive dye for clothing. That's why royalty wore it. It's not the most expensive dye now, but it was. And because it was the most expensive dye, the richest people were the ones that were also starving as well. But we have to not ignore this, that, that in this world, money has power. Can anyone disagree with that? If someone walked into your house and said, I'm going to offer you twice what it's worth, you'd probably just walk out, right? Maybe. Some of you wouldn't, but some of you might. People often find security in their identity in it, in money. Money gives us freedom for more choices in this world. I think some of us would take more vacations if we had more money, right? Or better vacations, right? Isn't that what we all think of? Everyone I head to, uh, you know, South America or somewhere, somewhere in Europe maybe. Be careful that money doesn't give you a feeling of self-sufficiency. Because Jesus is the only source of security that can't fail us. He said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And many of you might have heard that before, but in the context of lamentations, if you serve money to find security, your security will not be found in God. You know, I've been told a lot recently, if I choose to do something, I'm choosing to not do something else. And that's what's happening here. The people were choosing to find their security in finances. And in doing that, it wasn't that just that choice, like the fact that they were pursuing money. It was the choice that they were doing that instead of pursuing God. So we need to trust in the infinite resource of Jesus Christ rather than the limited resource of money. Lament, in general, destroys our self-sufficiency and shows us our spiritual bankruptcy when we trust in financial security. We're spiritually bankrupt if that's the only thing we're pursuing. And, and honestly, I don't say this from a lack of desire to provide for my family or for, to see other people be able to provide for their families. It's more a desire if that's the end result, that's all you're pursuing, you're going to end up not pursuing God. So let's look at the next truth. And if you have, if you have your Bible, just... Just go on chapter 4, because that's, I mean, we're going to be in chapter 4 the whole time. And here I'm going to read verses 2, 5, 7 through 9, and 20. You may think I'm like going through, these are, these are so important ver- verses, and I'm reading 2 and 5 again. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. Verse 5, those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who are brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Seven through nine. Her princes were whiter than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It's become dry wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits in the field. In verse 20. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under the shadow, we shall live among the nations. That's even more devastating. But the second truth from this chapter is that we need to trust in Jesus as the Savior rather than people. 
We, verse 2 shows us people can't be saviors because we're broken as people. Who made us? God did. We can't save ourselves if God's the one who made us. Verse 5 shows us the wealthy have nothing for us to look up to. Verse 7 through 9 says princes don't look like princes anymore. It's pretty devastating. And verse 20 shows us that they're enslaved and in exile. You notice it says they're in pits. Like, we don't throw people in pits nowadays, but that's what they did at that time. And that would have been a form of enslavement. And the people have put, or the people of Israel put other people in the position of Savior. That they were going to be saved. And it was the only, only the position that Jesus should be in. He made it clear, God made it clear from the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 13, 4, that he was the only Savior. It says there, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, You know no God but me, but beside me there is no Savior. There's no other Savior. You probably didn't come this morning to hear that. Maybe some of you are like, well, you're not telling me something I don't know. There's no other Savior. But even more, if you follow Jesus, you will find eternal life. Philippians 3.20 says, But your citizenship is in heaven, this is if you're following Jesus, from whom we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Israelites didn't know Jesus was coming. Clearly didn't know Jesus was coming, right? If we read the New Testament, they did not have any idea. They didn't know what was coming. They put their trust in others, including their own leaders. God used the destruction of Jerusalem, which is why this, the, the whole book of Lamentations was written, and destruction of what they worshipped instead of God to remind them the limitations of human leadership. If you look around in this room, there might be people you work with or you know. And you know what? I don't, I don't want to be super negative, but they're going to fail you at some point. I'm going to fail you. Government leaders will fail you. Because while God's power is ultimate, while God's power is ultimate, men's power is not. Other people's power is not ultimate. Economics is not ultimate. It's just not. National defense is not ultimate. You know, the things we say or do because of one of those, it's not ultimate power. They're systems. Those are systems that have human leaders that are fragile. Treating people as a savior is a profound idol when we should be trusting in God alone. When we grieve... And again, grieving is different for every single individual. So understand, this is a generalization. We tend to turn inward. We tend to turn inward. That's kind of the first step when we grieve. But the first step in lament is the opposite. And if you've been here with us all four weeks, it's turning towards God rather than just turning inward. It's the opposite of what we want to do. When you're struggling or you're feeling pain or you're hurt, the last thing you want to do is go somewhere else or talk about it. I've never met someone that wants to talk about it right away. But God is telling us that we need to turn towards him. So I had to ask myself the question this week, are you going to turn towards God first rather than others? And, and you might be saying, well, I never turn to others because I'm more introverted. The difference is you still need to turn towards God. And sometimes that's not happening. Is there a situation you're in right now that needs to be a God-first one versus going anywhere else? 
The third truth right after this, the third truth builds on this one. So turn with me to verses 13 through 16, Lamentations chapter 4. And it says here, This was for the sins of her prophets, the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her, of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People among the nations say, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders. These verses show a third truth. And that third truth is that we need to trust in Jesus to lead us rather than spiritual leaders. It's all about Jesus. The prophets and priests here had sinned and caused this calamity. The righteous were being killed because of it. The spiritual leaders were blind and defiled. Verse 15, I don't know how you can get much worse. Verse 15, when it says, Away, unclean, the people said. Away, away, do not touch. The people didn't even want to associate with them. The spiritual leaders were fugitives and wanderers. And it was God who did this, do their own actions. They've lost their position as spiritual leader. Because they were no longer revered. They no longer were shown honor. Spiritual apathy from the spiritual leaders affected the people and brought about destruction. What's interesting here is you may be thinking, well, that's kind of a, a difficult topic of this last year. There's been a lot of, of debate about different things. The reality is they were telling them to worship other gods. It wasn't just, oh, I don't like my pastor, I don't like this person, or I watched this person on YouTube and I don't like what they said, or whatever. It was, they were causing them to go worship other gods. That was the loss of spiritual leadership there. And I think the ground that we've lost as the capital C church, the, the church, not just our church, the church, all across the world, might be regained by not idolizing those in spiritual leadership and having them lead in lament. Paul had a similar problem in the New Testament. He had a similar problem because people were doing the same thing that they were doing in Lamentations and back thousands of years in the first century when he was going on his missionary journeys. 1 Corinthians 1, 12-14 says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I know most of you didn't wake up this morning on daylight savings to find out that Paul was being sarcastic. Of course not. You weren't baptized in the name of Paul. But we might, what we might do look different. It might look differently than this, but it's so similar. Think about this. I listened to Andy Stanley. I listened to Timothy Keller. I listen to Stephen Furtick. I listen to John MacArthur. I listen to Michael Todd. I listen to John Piper. I listen to J.D. Greer. I listen to T.D. Jakes. You know, and my, my, my favorite, this is sarcasm, I listen to Joel Osteen, okay? So, I mean, there's so many out there. We identify with people that don't know us, that cannot affect the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, and we get lost in following men rather than Jesus. 
And you may be thinking, why would you ever say that from a pulpit? Because God does use spiritual leaders. Yes, he does. But Paul continues his thoughts, and I think this is where it comes full circle. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 7, which says, For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So many of you are thinking, yeah, we're merely being human. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. If I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Spiritual leaders plant and water. They plant and water. I don't know about you, but I do not have a green thumb. So when I plant and I water something, sometimes it doesn't grow. It just doesn't work. Or things, you, my kids, they overwater. Is there such a thing where it's just like basically the seed just comes up and you never get anywhere? Spiritual leaders might plant water, but God gives the growth. No pastor can grow the roots of the good news of Jesus Christ in your life. Only God can do that. God can use pastors or spiritual leaders, but only God gives the growth. We're called to recommit to faithfulness. This should give us hope, though, because, and cause us to turn to God more because we need to look to Jesus rather than our spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders are the one planting and watering, but again, only God gives the growth. And sometimes it's easy for me, even as, even as a pastor, when I read something or I hear something and I'm like, man, that's really profound, I like that, I forget the fact that the only reason that that's going to affect any spiritual change in my life is because of God. It has nothing to do with the, the ability or the talent that God's given that person. Only God gives the growth. The last truth, the fourth truth in this passage, is the most impactful one that I think is displayed in our American culture. This is one that my whole lifetime I have heard over and over and I've started to realize how dangerous this is. It's really a warning. It's the greatest warning we can hear. So I'm going to read verse 6, 11, and 18. Verse 6 says, For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which is overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Verse 11, The, God, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumes its foundations. Verse 18, they dogged our steps that we could not walk in the streets. Our end drew near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. The fourth truth, and the one that's heaviest, is that we need to trust in Jesus rather than presuming his favor. Rather than presuming his favor. Verse 6 shows us a truth that's all in the Old Testament, that God disciplines those he loves, and even in the New Testament, it's continued. The people of Israel presumed they would receive better treatment. They thought they were better as a nation than others. You know when we feel really comfortable with someone we know, and we expect better treatment? That's what's really going on here. But we become too comfortable in some ways. Verse 11 shows us that God didn't hold back his wrath. He took away their national foundations because they weren't founded in him. Verse 18 shows us that people's days are numbered because God is doing something new. 
Now, you may wonder why this is connected to American culture. And I think American culture is fascinated with optimism. Fascinated with optimism. We want to be optimists. We come to a book like Lamentations and we want to chuck it out the window. Like, this is the one book in the Bible I don't want to hear. Because it's not optimistic. But we still trust in God in the end. We as Americans, I I think I can say this, we believe that life will get better. New opportunities will come. Recessions will end. And most of all, normal will happen again tomorrow. I wonder how many Americans have worshipped at the feet of optimism. Or how many people following Jesus connect this to being, we're blessed by God. This, this concept of being blessed by God. And the reaction of Christians in my lifetime shows me that we don't enjoy our exile status. When Paul and Jesus describe being in the world but not of the world, we are exiles here. We're just like the Israelite people in the spiritual sense. My fear is, is that we're too emotionally and spiritually focused on optimism, and in doing that, we presume the favor of God. Like, my life's going to get better as I age. Or financially, everything's going to be better next week or next month or next year. We don't know what it means to live in a society reaping what it sows. Because think about it. Israel was completely destroyed. Have we ever been completely destroyed? Just, I mean, everything. Have we been sent off to another country? We don't know what it's like to be in a culture hostile to people that follow Jesus. We don't know what that looks like. It's not, let's not be like the Israelites and assume we deserve to be a special people. I I think about this when I ask people in a modern day way. You know, as I said, it's a little different for us versus the Israelites. It's a little different. There's a couple of phrases that sound like the modern-day version of this. And I asked the question to someone when I asked them, are you a Christian? And people respond with something, some variation of this. I've always been a good person. I mean, I believe in God. Anyone notice how connected that is? I mean, I, I, I always have been a good person. That doesn't do anything but presume the favor of God. Everything we accomplish is by the grace of God. That's how we forge forward in a world headed towards destruction. We need to become more familiar with spiritual survival. And these four things, these four idols that we put in our lives are exactly that. Sometimes it's other people. Sometimes it's our finances. Sometimes it's some charismatic speaker. Sometimes it's, it's our optimism. But yet God provides us something greater than optimism. He provides us joy. He provides us hope. If you go through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, there are so many different things that he offers us that are greater than any optimist can give. Toppling these idols can make us understand what king and what kingdom we actually have been made to serve. You ever have that moment where you realize you're not doing what you're made to serve? You have a, you have a, a profound moment where you're like, I'm not doing what I should be doing. Something's off. 
And the first thing is, I think the first thing we do is we go somewhere else besides God. And we hit dead ends there. And eventually we get broken enough that we're, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to God about this. God exposing idols in our life teaches us. And much like a statue that you might have, there's little idols hanging around in your life. And there might be other believers that see those, or there might be a blind spot you have, or it might be something that you're not sure of. You might have gone through those four points and realized, you know what, I don't think I do any of those. Well, then your idol might be pride. And if, if you go through those and you're like, well, you know, I, 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 think, I think finances is, or I think that, you know, I put other people first rather than God. Then God's teaching you and showing you something that you need help to change. I'm here to tell you that the pain from learning what God is teaching us allows us to see who we are, who God says we are, and it also shows us what we serve. It shows us what we love. And when those things are out of alignment, we're really going to struggle. And much like the nation of Israel, you're going to hear chapter 5 next week, and, and there's just a lot of destruction. And this is a warning. It's not... It's, it, I think the, the book of Lamentations is a great book because it just tells us exactly what will, things will lead to. Have you ever had someone tell you, like, you know, you don't need to walk off a cliff to know that you shouldn't do it, right? I've heard that before. It's like you don't need to experience destruction to know that you're going to be destroyed, that it's going to lead to more destruction in your life. The best person to talk to about what you're learning is God. Sometimes we leave church and we talk to people at lunch or we talk to people in our family or sometimes we just internalize everything. The reality is God's there waiting for you to talk and he's also waiting for you to listen. I think if we're looking at presuming favor and we presume that that God is going to give us blessings I think we need to ask forgiveness for that. That's something that I think is very clear from this passage. And then ask him to help change us through the Holy Spirit. None of us walked in without a story, and none of us walked in without hurts and pains and things that have happened, whether it's more on the physical end of things, whether it's emotional things, whether it's spiritual things, there is going to be difficulty in this world. And the one thing that is true in all of this is we need to trust in God. That, that's the end of a lament. That's what you go to trust. But the starting point is turning and turning to him. So what? So what? Trust in Jesus for our security and our Savior rather than finances or people. You know, I'd be the first to say, you know, we're in a world that is really fixated on material possessions, especially in the United States. You know, it's easy to get lost in that, and I feel like there's this spectrum. It's almost like a roller coaster in your life. You ever, you ever 
are not spending much money and then you see what someone else has and you get really excited and want the same thing. It happens. And you're just like this. Oh, I'm going to spend money. Oh, oh, I'm going back. Oh, I'm, oh, this cool thing. Don't watch Shark Tank because then you'll do that every week. Okay? Show new things every week. You need to trust in Jesus to lead us rather than the spiritual leaders or even presuming God's favor. You know, it's really easy to turn and look at someone else and point out the fault in them. It's a lot harder to turn inside and focus on what God's teaching you. And when God's teaching you something, the first thing you want to do is point a finger at someone else. And that's what we do. That's what people do. And in this case, in Israel, what was happening, it was the spiritual leader's fault because they're going and worshiping other gods. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, even those names that I I mentioned earlier, it's not that they're worshiping other gods. It's that if we too, too aptly pursue them rather than our Savior, if we're too quick to pursue a name or a person rather than a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know something I, I, I've, I've learned both in my adult life and uh, as a child, security is really important. And where you find your security, you're going to find your identity. And where you find your identity, you're going to find your purpose and your hope. And so before you think like security, especially financial security, is something that that is, is small or a small idol, that is a huge idol that leads to much more. It's almost like it has a snowball effect in our lives. And so where you seek security is your identity. And that's how you become what you worship. You can become what you worship. You can become like other people. You can become like a spiritual leader. You can become like essentially a a financial person or whatever it is. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but when they become an object of worship, they are. I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to sing a song, Cornerstone, because in all of this, trusting in Jesus matters more than anything else. If you notice with, with all those truths, trusting in Jesus matters more than any of those other things. And yet we pursue those other things. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that we are inadequate people. We are a people that, that God, are, are so quick to pursue anything but you. So quick to pursue Uh, security in other things. We're so quick to pursue other saviors. We're so quick to pursue when we're we're in pain. We're so quick to pursue others so that we can say things or maybe we just internalize everything. But God, we need to turn to you as the people of the church. God, we need to be able to listen. We know that you hear us Please respond to your church. God, there's so many things happening in this world. So many destructive things that are caused by our sin, caused by by disease, 
And Lord, help us to be a people bringing new life like Jesus brought us new life. And God, if we don't know you and we haven't trusted in you, I pray right now that, God, you would open the eyes of our heart, allow us to see that we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that we can't pursue anything else. God, thank you for showing us through lamentations, through the entire book, that we need to get rid of the idols in our lives. The things that we're pursuing rather than you. The things that when we lose them, We don't even feel like living anymore. God, help our pursuit of you be stronger than anything else. We say all this in Jesus' name.